in a moment where it could be really easy to keep his own armor on and defend himself, he is choosing to take it off and to let himself be known in a way that is very real. And that was unlike any experience I've had before. And as a result of that, it actually ended up bringing us a lot closer. Hello and welcome to the BBXX podcast. Let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and I'm here to bring you content, conversations, insights, perspectives, and lessons learned that will bring you closer to a deeper appreciation for and relationship with yourself. I'm here to bring you conversations about sexuality, self-awareness, self-development, relationships, intimacy, exploration that will guide you on your journey to deeper self-understanding. Our close relationships account for 70% of our happiness and 90% of our well-being. So better relationships really does mean a better life. I'm so happy to have you here with me. And as always, I'm right here next to you along for the ride on this wild, crazy, beautiful journey. I actually cannot contain my excitement for this next episode, this conversation that I'm about to bring you. It's so profound, insightful, ridiculous. What I love most about Adriana and Michael is not just the incredible toolkit of resources and advice and knowledge that they have to offer. But what I love about them is that they don't just share the takeaways. We're not just getting the highlights, the cliff notes. They not only have the expertise, but they can share it in a way that makes it land completely different because they also share their own struggles, their own journey. They invite you to come behind the scenes with them. There's nothing better than being able to see yourself and hear yourself in somebody else's story. Because then seeing what they've done to get through it, the path that they've found to the next level represents something totally different. I love these conversations for so many reasons. They share all of this in a way that's not only deeply profound, but highly entertaining. And there are so many practical, actionable pieces of advice that you can take away from this and immediately apply to your everyday life. An exercise that they called desires, fears, and boundaries. I shared it with a couple of people I knew. And within a few days, I had text messages back from people who had tried it telling me how much they loved it, how much their partner had loved it, how much it had totally changed a situation they were in. So we're not just here for the theory and the big picture. We're here for the dirt, the detail, the fun, the humor, the weirdness, and the realness. I absolutely loved this interview, and I hope you do too. Hello, hello. Thank you for having us. What a treat. What a treat. I wanted to see how each of you has been feeling since we last chatted, which was already a few weeks ago, but see how you've been feeling since 
we last chatted, any insights that each of you learned from the interviews that we did, and then we will jump into today. And I'm just so excited to get the story behind your relationship, learn about all the amazing tools that you use, the communication styles, the I just feel that the two of you have the most incredible toolbox of things and energies and tactics and humor that you bring into your relationship. So I'm really excited to have you all share that with our audience and yeah, just hear the story of how the two of you met and all of the wins, challenges and lessons learned along the way so far. I mean, I think the main thing that I'm appreciating from the last call that you and I had was just getting to reflect. I mean, you're such a wizard when it comes to asking questions. And I feel like you've asked questions that I haven't necessarily in that way taken the time to reflect on. And so, yeah, it's just left me continuing to sit with and be with the questions that you asked and can kind of unfold or unpack. Like what's even truer than that? Because there's so many layers to the responses that naturally want to come forward. And I feel like there's a whole well of depth that could be explored with every single one of the questions you ask. So that's really what I've been sitting with and I'm appreciating. Yeah. And for me, I think it had been a little while since I had shared that side of my story and it felt really fun and also like meaningful to revisit some of the darker times and also some of the triumphs along the way of getting to where we are and also having the chance to analyze a little bit, like what was it really that made the difference for some of those moments? Like whether it was with my own journey with relationships or whether it was us together, because you're right. I mean, both of us have such backgrounds with so many different practices and traditions and lineages that it becomes sometimes just natural or like habit. But there was such intention behind that to get to the habits now. So it was really cool to be invited to consider that. And then also to remind us to use them because we always still need them ourselves. As we were reflecting on all the different tools and practices that we use in our relationship in preparation for this, like really kind of distilling what are the things that we do that could be really meaningful for other couples? And some of them are really obvious because they're ones that we regularly use. And some of them are ones that maybe we used a lot during a particular chapter of our relationship. And so actually the process of taking the time to just sit with that was really helpful because I was like, oh, like we have a tool for that, that we haven't been leveraging. This could be really useful in terms of helping us get (laughs) unstuck in some of the things that have been showing up recently. So it's fun to get to explore that. And also, I think one thing I want to say coming into this conversation is I feel really excited to share a lot of the practices that have been so formative for us. And Mm. I feel like we bring these with a lot of humility and a desire to say it's such a process and it's such a journey. It's not like a checkbox that we've by any means mastered, but we certainly have figured out some things that when we remember to use consistently, make an extraordinary difference in how we relate to one another and how we feel in relationship with one another. Yeah. It makes me realize, I don't know if any couples have done this. I know that I certainly haven't either, of sitting down and really being like, what's in our toolkit? And creating some tangible representation of here are the things that we've tried in the past, here are communication tactics or like games or whatever it is that we can refer back to and kind of building out and reminding yourselves that in the moment or in a tough spot, 
you have all these things you can lean on and leverage because obviously it can be really difficult in the moment to kind of remember them and feel like, you know, you have anything to grasp onto. So I think that is a really interesting idea of inviting people to really take some time to write down or speak to or create some sort of inventory or at least acknowledge all of the tools that they have at their disposal. Amazing. So as we get ready to jump in today, I wanted to come out with, you know, a big question off the bat and ask each of you, what is your definition of intimacy? I love operational definitions and making sure that either we're all talking about the same thing or knowing how we view things differently. So we could actually be referring to completely different ways of viewing it. Adriana, I think I asked you what your definition of love was. And I was like kind of laughing to myself this morning being like, wow, what a tough question. (laughs) That's one of the questions I've been sitting with. I've just been like, what is love? (laughs) Because it's so specific, yet it's everything. And so general and so big, but so poignant. I was even laughing being like, I don't. What would I say in that moment? So I fully recognize how, but we'll just think of them as thought exercises. And part of it is also to invite our listeners to take time to think about these big questions that I think we otherwise don't. Well, to me, intimacy is two different or more different people, different beings, having no walls or barriers or inauthenticities or pretense or anything that's like getting in the way of fully relating to one another within that overall thing that we're part of. It's showing up completely who we are in any moment. It's trusting deeply enough to make let any part of ourselves be seen and witnessed by one another. It's connecting deeply on an energetic level, on a physical level, on a emotional level, on any of the different levels, spiritual level, whatever it may be. When I think of how intimate a relationship is or the practice of intimacy, it's about letting down any walls or guards and clearing out any of the debris or whether that's my own stuff I'm bringing, whether that's the other person's thing, whether that's stuff that has accumulated in the relationship, whether that's something to do with the different identities we carry that naturally the preconceived biases that we might have towards each other. It's sweeping all that stuff away and allowing the pure human that we each are to deeply relate to one another. That's how I understand intimacy. One thing I was just like smiling as I was listening to your response, because I'm like, every time I get to have these conversations with you, I'm just like, I love that man so much. Yeah. So I feel a lot of resonance with the definition that you just shared. And also when I think about intimacy, I think intimacy can be between two people. It can be between life. It's like, how do we become deeply intimate with life? And when I think about what that means for me as humans, I think we all have our life conditioning, the experiences, our education, our backgrounds, our race, like all of the layers of identity that inform who we are, the experiences where we have felt unsafe or safe, the experiences where we felt betrayed, where we felt loved, where we have felt fear. And all of these things can lead us to carry like what I think about as like invisible armor to protect ourselves, to feel like we can move through life without being harmed. And intimacy to me is about saying like, I'm going to, whether consciously or unconsciously, 
begin to pull my armor down. And maybe it's one piece at a time. And in the choice to put down our armor, I believe that we can come into deeper relationship with one another. We can get to see who we are for the whole human being, the whole being that we are. And when we first meet someone, maybe it's like the armor is still on and we're connecting on a more superficial layer. But as more safety starts to come forward or as we feel more willing to take a risk, then we expose more parts of ourselves. And I think we start to allow people to really see the whole of who we are, the most vulnerable, dear, sacred parts that make us who we are, as well as all the experiences that have informed who we are too. So in that process of becoming intimate with one another, we allow ourselves to be fully seen in our full range of human experience. And we also are seeing another. So what actually creates, what fosters intimacy and presence. And so many of us are so distracted by technology among so many other things that we've actually lost our capacity to be present. It takes curiosity. It takes a desire to like actually deeply understand who someone is and be willing to actually put down our own filters and allow them to reveal themselves to us so we can see them with unbiased eyes, with a clear lens intimacy is like building a bridge to union. And I believe to the sacred in the deeper intimacy that I experience in my relationships, the more I feel connected to the sacred in life, to the divine, to the universe, and to feel connected to love in a way that's so far beyond what most of us have ever experienced in our lives. That's what I get lit up about is, wow, so much possibility, both in the romantic relationships and in community to create that with one another. Yeah, I think In terms of what you were talking about towards the end there, what came to mind is that in the end, it all kind of comes back to the fact that it makes us feel more connected to ourselves. And so that intimacy, the connection with other people, it's almost like both a result, but also a key ingredient is that connection that it brings to ourself that opens the door, opens the portal to all of these other things. I agree with that. And I would also just add, it feels like intimacy is like a lifting of the barrier of the misbelief that we're separate from one another. Because when we can lift that veil, then all of a sudden we actually start to see the divine in each other and we start to see ourselves in one another. I mean, that's something that the two of us have always shared from the start super powerfully, which is that like we see our intimacy and our relationship as a portal to our whole self, like our full potential to be able to enter intimacy, whether it's with a romantic partner or anyone else, where we can offer that gift of seeing one another and reflecting, connecting and holding one another in that way, it can for anyone unlock a different level of comfort or knowing of ourselves. This is when it's a healthy intimacy where there is the safety and support, of course, and there can be other forms. But when it is there, It can open up whole new levels of expression and understanding of who we are and how we relate to all the rest of life, which is really exciting. I feel like we could get into a whole talk about how intimacy will save the world. But one more thing that I did want to touch on, there were a bunch of things mentioned there. Trust, Michael and you and I talked about trust and confidence being related in our interview, how intimacy is multifaceted, layered. And one thing, Adriana, that I love that you said is the armor where Sometimes it's not about what is needed to like add new things and what we need to create, but almost what we need to get rid of. 
and get rid of those filters to have an unfiltered lens. Yeah. And something that comes up for me when you say that is some of us, including myself, have actually had a lot of shame around the armor that we have. The armor that we've developed often came because there was a time when we actually really needed that degree of protection and there was a wisdom in it. And I think for at least me and my journey, and I think for a lot of other people, the practice can become like helping our nervous system, helping our bodies, helping our minds, our hearts really understand like when is that protective armor, if you will, really serving? And when is it actually in the way of us getting the thing that we're most longing for? Yeah. And like you said, these are things that at one point served us. They were adaptive. And you and I the other day were talking about chronic pain and the way that that changes the pathways in your brain. But emotional pain and physical pain is processed the same. It all starts in the brain. And a lot of these things, these triggers or things that cause emotional or physical pain, they come from pathways that have formed neurologically that at one point helped us. They were meant to protect us. It's just that now they're maladaptive. Now they don't serve us anymore. So I would love to talk a little bit and have the two of you share the story of how you met because it's very entertaining. And I think it's just a really unusual way that the two of you cultivated connection. And obviously it wasn't without obstacles at the same time, but I would love to have the two of you share your story in whatever way you feel inspired to do so. I guess I'll kick it off since it starts with me. I was helping lead a leadership training. It was a five-day training and I was actually studying under a teacher at the time. And there were a few other women who were also in more of a support role. Like we were kind of support staff and support trainers. And there was a woman who I had met once prior in a different training. And she's actually now a very dear friend of mine. But at the time I had literally only met her once. I didn't know her very well at all. And over the course of this five-day program, it was an immersive program. We were staying overnight. So there were a lot of opportunities for us to share meals amongst the staff and to get to know one another. And over the five days, on three different occasions, I would be sharing a story just about my life or sharing about something. And she would just stop me in the middle of my story. And she would say, I don't know why. I feel like you have to meet my friend, Michael. I think you two would really hit it off. And I just kind of shrugged it off. The third time she says it, she stops me again mid-sentence. And she says, I don't know why. I really feel like you have to meet my friend, Michael. I feel like you're either going to become best friends or get married. I quote. I was honestly like, who does this person think she is? Like, She doesn't know me. I didn't invite a connection. But anyways, she was so persistent. And I actually ended up really connecting with her that I was like, okay, where does this Michael live? And she was like, in San Francisco. What's his deal? And she's oh, he's the co-founder of Breathe for Change. And I actually happened to be a trainer for Breathe for Change at the time, which was a yellow flag for me because I was like, I'm not trying to compromise my financial, my income as a result of some bling with this dude that lives (laughs) across the country. Anyways, she was like, if you want an introduction, I'll make one, but I don't know how you'd meet since he's an SF. And it just so happened, Michael likes to pretend like I, it just so happened that she was going to San Francisco. Just, she, she claims it just so happened. It just so happened that three weeks later, I was scheduled to be in SF for a relationship coaching program. 
So I reached out because I'm also a trained coach. I reached out to this woman and I was like, hey, you know what? I'm down. Connect us if he's up for it and we can have dinner in San Francisco. So in my context here is I had been exploring open relationship. I was dating a couple of people, just kind of ethical non-monogamy. But I had recently had a plant medicine ceremony where I had experienced this earth goddess. Like the earth was like calling me forward that I was going to meet my woman, basically. And so I was like, all right, okay. So I get this text, like literally the day after the ceremony being like, hey, you really need to meet my friend Adriana. And I was like, okay, sure. I like checked her. I was like, obviously. Is she my earth goddess woman? (laughs) It's like, maybe she is, you know? And so shortly thereafter, when she said that she was coming to San Francisco, we had a couple Zoom chats just to like get to know each other a little bit. And Hold I, on, you skipped oh. an important oh, yeah, part yeah, of the yeah, story. Yeah. We're like doing some text back and forth and I reach out to him and I was just like, hey, I'm going to have a car. Are there any neighborhoods that you recommend that it's easy to park in? And he was like, well, my neighborhood's great and I happen to have an extra bed that you could stay in. And I was like, whoa, that's really bold. I've never even met this person in person or had a phone conversation with him. And I was like, let me think about it. And my answer was definitely going to be no. And then I started looking at Airbnb prices. And at the time I made very little money and I saw that the prices were She just had to have her rational mind be taken care of to justify (laughs) that it was to save money and stuff. But you know. So then I was like, okay, I guess I will take you up on that hair mattress or whatever. Yeah. So at so that then, point, you suggested a So then we call. did some Zooms. And then I had a pretty flexible work oh, schedule. Oh, the suggestion was pre-Zoom calls. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. We hadn't even had a phone yeah. call. I was just like, I had just checked out her website. I was like, okay, she's cute. Like, maybe we'll have a little fun. I'm down. But I trusted that he wasn't, like, given how strongly... I knew that he was good friends with this woman who connected us. And I trusted. I, like, felt a strong connection with her. And I was like, worst case scenario, he's... I honestly thought he was going to be too like too much of a woo-woo yogi for me, man. And I was like, well, we can just be friends and like give peace singers to each other and go on a nice walk. <laughs> then I ended up clear without telling her. So she was coming for this training, but she had, I think she got in on a Thursday and she had Friday before the training. And the training was like Saturday and Sunday. So I ended up clearing my schedule on Thursday and Friday and without even telling her and just like coming up with a bunch of ideas of what we could do together. I was planning to see other friends. <laughs> And I, so she got there and I, and I was like, all right, let's go to this Thai restaurant. And we immediately, well, actually it took a little while. The first like hour or two was like sort of awkward. I remember we went around the botanical gardens and I like put my hand on her back and she like kind of moved away or like didn't move away, but was just kind of feeling into it. But anyway, that evening is when things started to click a little bit. We had like a delicious board of food and wine and I freestyled and dined me. I wined and dined her and then I freestyled to her, which she started I definitely, my, I was like, my body was like, ooh. And then we stayed in separate beds that night. And then the next morning is when I think it, the magic or like things dropped in a level deeper. We, at like seven in the morning, we were having our morning coffee. And I was like, you want to play a game? And a she, game. And she was like, sure. And I was like, it's called Desires, Fears, and Boundaries. And so we went into this game and it's definitely it's more of a, a communication game. strategy. <laughs> So the way it works is one person first shares their desires in a situation and then the fears they have about that situation and then the boundaries that they want to set or another way of talking about boundaries is agreements that you want to make for that situation. So I shared my desire that I was desiring to explore physical intimacy together. We did desires, fears and boundaries, DFB around the weekend that we the time that we had together in person. Got it. And I was like, I'm attracted to you. I'm interested in exploring (laughs) physical intimacy 
And I was like very like, direct. I'm ready to get down. <laughs> but I was also like, my fears are I don't want to cross your boundaries or move too fast or for either of us to get attached. No, let's for be you clear. to get attached. You told me your fear was that I would get well, attached. Yeah, I was in a very unattached state at that time. And I laughed. I was like, me? Yeah, get right. attached. Or so I thought. So I sort of started and as light as it is now, it was also a very like, authentic and vulnerable thing because I was being really real about what I was interested in. And my boundaries were essentially like clear communication and transparency with one another. And then it opened up a space with that when she went, she ended up actually crying and sharing about some really vulnerable concerns she had just around physical I'm happy to share. I mean, so first of all, I'll just say like, I had never had a man be so transparent with me so quickly. Like he just put all his cards on the table in a way that was so refreshing. When I came into this weekend, I was like, best case scenario, I had been healing from a prior relationship for about two years. And when we had this weekend, like I was just starting to enter the dating scene again, but I was pretty guarded because I had been pretty hurt. But because one, like I'm probably never going to see this person again. And two, his degree of vulnerability and transparency that he brought forward and the desires, fears, and boundaries practice it was so surprising and refreshing that it left me open. Like it cracked me open in a way that I wasn't anticipating. And anyhow, I had been in pelvic floor physical therapy for two years because I had an IUD gone wrong situation that rewired all of the neurons in my pelvis to think that everything was pain rather than neutral sensation or pleasure. So for two years, I had what felt without exaggeration 70 times a day, it felt like I was being stabbed in the vagina. And it was absolutely horrific and excruciating. I hadn't been physically intimate in some time because it had been so excruciatingly painful for me. So when Michael's telling me his desires to like get down. And I'm like, I don't know this person. The first thing that flooded me was just like, and I actually the day before coming to see him had a regression and I was like having a ton of pain in my pelvis. And so one of the fears that I shared with him was, I'm afraid that even if I do want to be intimate with you, I'll be in pain and that you won't respect my boundaries or that you might get repelled by the fact that this is something that I'm experiencing. And it was at the time something that was extremely vulnerable for me to share. But his courage and his transparency like really led me to feel safe to put it on the table. And not only did I put it on the table, but in so many instances in the past when I've brought that degree of vulnerability some men that I've been with have not known what to do with it. And so it's felt like they invited it. But then when it's come, like almost there's a little bit of a leaning back in everything, like Michael's body, his like energetic presence, like his questions. It was such a full leaning in that moment. That was like, all right, if I wasn't already cracked open, like I'm open, I'm ready to go in the sense of being receptive to whatever wants to emerge through this. So that was, there was a shift very much in that and through that experience. A hundred percent. I'm just like in awe. And one, I'm just so sorry that you were experiencing that. That is unimaginable. And I can only imagine how difficult it was to be experiencing that and then to share that. And then how game-changing it was to have that response in a way that you'd never before received. And the whole time that I heard you 
speaking, I was imagining going back to the armor that you mentioned. And what comes to mind is the scene in the notebook where they're standing across from each other and taking off one piece of clothing at a time, but it's like the armor, right? A thousand percent. My non-monogamy practice really helped. Now that I look back, I can see that's what I needed to learn was like in the past, I would always have some outcome that I was trying to get to. And this really showed me how to just show up and be present and not feel like I needed to get to a certain place. And then that really served in this case as like the person who led that kind of took the role of planning that or leading that activity to let it be like truly from that energy. So that happened and we had this opening of all this possibility. And then the rest of that day was just magic. We went to lunch and ended up speaking Spanish the whole time together. And we were sharing about the different parts of ourselves, which is another thing that is a really powerful tool. We were like bringing forward the different aspects of ourselves, like getting really saucy and playful together and also deep and spiritual and all the different things. And then I remember at least one other thing we did that day was we played this another game of taking turns, letting the other person know like how we wanted to be touched. And then the other person could, of course, say yes or no. But we had not even kissed. Yeah, we hadn't kissed still or anything. It was just a buildup. But for example, I think one of the first things Adriana asked for was like a massage, like a shoulder massage or something like a back massage or something like with clothes on and stuff. And then it's such a beautiful practice because it's like practicing saying what you actually want instead of what you think the other person wants or whatever. And it's saying yes and no. It's practicing giving and receiving one at a time in both directions so that it doesn't just get locked at so many relationships get locked into like a certain dynamic around that. So that that was super hot and built a lot of tension. I can literally not imagine the amount of sexual tension. Oh it was very hot. <laughs> very there. palpable. There's yeah. actually a really cool practice around this that can be really powerful in terms of asking for what you want and practicing boundaries simultaneously. Anyway, we did end up kissing at the end of that, which was our first kiss. It was really sexy and beautiful. And then we went out and just went to bed. Still hadn't had a lot of physical intimacy outside of that kiss. I already knew in advance of starting the training that I had a piece of homework. And the homework assignment was going to be to coach a couple and basically coach them into having an even greater relationship with one another. And here I am in San Francisco and I'm like, I don't know anyone here. And I was not on my game. I didn't plan it ahead of time because I could have done it virtually. And so I'm talking to Michael and I'm like, do you know any friends that would benefit from coaching that you think might be interested in this? And he was like, not really, but you could coach me and one of my other lovers if you want. (laughs) Oh my God, wait. I don't think I knew this part of the story. I was like, okay, well, let's talk about what that would be like. Because at this point, it's clear that you and I are attracted to one another. Like we're spending a lot of time together. What would this look like? How would we make this work? And so we created some agreements around what we felt would actually be supportive and be fun and be like an interesting experiment for all of us. Very new experiment (laughs) for all of us. And so the agreements were that like, Michael would remain, obviously it was about the two of them, but he'd remain kind of physically neutral towards both of us in the environment just for the purposes of being Switzerland, if you will. (laughs) Trying to keep it safe, yeah. Helping make sure everyone felt comfortable. Yeah. This could be a whole topic in and of itself. So this other woman, she's awesome and she's still a friend, but we had only been seeing each other for a little while at this point. So it was kind of this like funny dynamic in the first place. But so Adriana ends up coaching me and this other woman about our relationship. And I'm just like, 
wow, like this woman, like who is this woman, like coaching me and this other woman. So on one level, I'm feeling like really inspired and connected. On another level, his my ego, ego gets getting... the best of me. And I'm like, oh, I've got this like super sexy situation going on here, like whatever. His ego had all sorts of fantasies happening. You know? Oh, yeah. He was like, at what point in my coaching do I propose the threesome? Definitely what was on my mind, 100%. I was, But I was playing it cool. He's like, they'll propose it, of course. So didn't end up happening. But that was my fantasy. But what did end up happening is the coaching went really well. And then this other woman left. But I had been showing more physical affection for her than we had agreed upon than Adriana and I had. So this other woman leaves, I like walk her out and I like come back in like on top of the world, like feeling so good. I'm like, let's go. Like we just did that. Now we're together. Like I want our time. And she's just like giving me the death stare over there. She is just not having it at all. It's like this big balloon full of steam I had. It just got popped. And all of a sudden I was like deflated in a major way. And I was like, oh shit. This is I not. straight up put him in the friend box. Yeah, she did. She was pissed. Talk about like intimacy as it relates to safety. Like I lost my mm -hmm. felt sense of safety. Like the agreements to me were like the riverbanks of safety. And because those weren't honored in the moment, in my experience, like what that led to was like all of the armor just came back on. And I was just like, nope. It was a really fascinating experience. We've only known each other like 48 hours or whatever. And we're already like dealing with this situation. And so then we're laying in bed and she's like clearly very closed off and has put me in the front. Okay, wait, box. how did we get into bed? Was there actually a second bed at any point in this? Oh, oh, that's a great question. So part of the reason it was awkward those first few hours when I got there was because I walk in and there's no other bed in sight. And I was there just was like, another bed. It was just not in sight. I was like, oh, hell no. He like, tricked me into thinking there was <laughs> another bed. It so. turns out the air mattress was still in the closet and he was going to end up having me stay in his roommate's bedroom since they were traveling. At this point, though, we did sleep in the same bed the second night. We just yeah. didn't make love or anything like that. So we were essentially planning to stay in the same bed. So I think she was thinking like, all right, friend zone, whatever. I'll sleep in this dude's bed. Like he's a safe person, but I'm just not open to that. We're in bed. We're laying there. She's turned the other way. And I'm like feeling really shitty because I like really bad. I certainly wasn't trying to hurt anyone. But thankfully, I ended up just like being really real about what I was feeling, which was shame around like letting the immature, more juvenile part of me that felt really awesome having two women with my attention on in this whole situation, like I had kind of taken over or I lost track of my more mature agreements that we had made and crossed boundaries. And that I like really hoped it wouldn't get in the way because I felt so much potential with our relationship. And it took a while. So we ended up having this amazing opportunity, like literally the second night we've known each other to have this super deep convo about what do we really value and how do we navigate? Con we had this really third night. Third night powerful opportunity to consider or to practice, not just consider, but have a real experience of this dynamic that shows up in our relationships still. And in so many relationships where like one partner accidentally does usually accidentally, but does something that crosses the line or a boundary of the other partner. And that can lead to like closing off or a withdrawing and a pulling away. At first I was like, well, I'm sorry I hurt you, but I didn't break the agreements that much. It's not like we were like making out or whatever. And I had all these own inner stories my own repulsion stories. But then I was like, no, I've been too excited about what's possible here. Forget all that. I'm going to just be courageous and I'm going to actually go for what I want, which is to not be separated right now, but to actually come back into this place of connection again and intimacy. And it took actually a lot of 
courage to share about the deeper layer of what, not just make excuses for my behavior, which I had tried to do at first, but to say, okay, the excuses aren't working. What's actually the truth here, which is that I'm feeling ashamed of the way that I showed up. And that is a part of me, but it's not all of me. And I I think that we're still a really good fit. So I'm going to stand for that. Through that dialogue, it like opened up the backup opportunity to have our intimate relationship and our romantic relationship again. It was really fascinating for me in the moment, because in most instances, when I have been cheated on in the past and I've been gaslit multiple times for like my intuition telling me something was happening and not having evidence and or like I've been in situations where I've been hurt and like the only response is defensiveness and excuses for the behavior rather than like really getting one like acknowledging impact like being with me and my experience and also getting to the essence of their experience. And so when Michael really showed up in a very vulnerable way, initially, I was like, he's manipulating me, like he's trying to just get me to sleep with him right now. And so there was this interesting tension where I was like, trying to discern I'm like, is he being genuine? Or is he just trying to get something wet right now? (laughs) And I was like, I honestly was feeling like I'm opening, I'm closing, I'm opening, I'm closing, like, I like, wow, like, I'm feeling a lot of empathy for him and compassion. I'm feeling close to him as he's like being really vulnerable and real with me. But then like part of me being like, no, this is just a ploy, protect. But what the whole experience actually did for us was eventually was like, no, this is like super genuine. And he's allowing me to see his own learnings. And he's allowing me to actually like know him in a way that's really real. He is being willing even in in a moment where it could be really easy to keep his own armor on and defend himself, he is choosing to take it off and to let himself be known in a way that is very real. And that was unlike any experience I've had before. And as a result of that, it actually ended up bringing us a lot closer. So we did end up making love that night and it was (laughs) awesome. So the next day she, Adriana left because her trip was over. She went back to Boston, but we had left it in this like really beautiful way because we had this moment of, disconnection in this moment of coming back together and healing. And it built so much respect and trust and just interest in the relationship because I felt like I had grown as a human being already, like from this experience. I felt like I could feel the capacity that we had to help me know myself more, tell me be my whole self more, among other things, obviously, that I was interested in. But so then she was leading a program in Spain right afterwards. So we had this little bit of time we weren't talking, but we scheduled a call. And I was just so into her. I was writing her poems every day. Like we were just, it was like a lot of energy. And we had, by the way, when I left San Francisco, we had been like, this was awesome. Like maybe in like six to eight weeks, we could plan a weekend getaway and meet up somewhere and just have a fun weekend together. Because I mean, we were living on opposite sides of the country. But I was just like, could not wait. And so I bought plane tickets to come visit her in Boston for right after she got back from Spain without even talking to her first. Like 10 days later. And then (laughs) we got on the phone and I was like, do you want to see each other? I'd love to come to Boston. And she was like, yes. And I was like, good, because I've already got my tickets and here's where we're going. I had an Airbnb. But if she said no. I would have canceled. It was within the 24-hour window. You know, I could have always gone the other way. But I was confident that she would say yes, because I could feel how much was there for both of us. And Then we had an absolutely incredible eight day week together that was just like a love vortex. And then basically started seeing each other like 50% of the time traveling back and forth. And then a couple months later, I moved to Boston. Four months later, we moved in together. Moved in together and the rest is history, essentially. 
So it does seem clear because of the story, but this was a question that the other day somebody asked me and I, you know, it comes up is how did you know? And I guess know is a really broad term because it did you know that this person was like your person or that moving in together was the right move or that you just wanted to explore it and see where it went. So I don't even know exactly what outcome I'm referring to, but how did you know whatever it was that you knew in that moment? And maybe what was it at that time? I like to live in the moment as much as possible and not have to know too much about the future. I mean, that's something I'm stepping more into now that we've been together almost four years and we're getting married and stuff. But at the time, it was just like, I felt it in every cell of my body and I wanted to be together and like, I wanted to just pursue that. And so it's a bold move to move across the country, obviously. So it's like a big decision. But at the same time, I was just like, I know it's what's going to be best for me now. And I had gained confidence in the fact that it was okay if things didn't happen, having been through some breakups and stuff. So I was just willing to give that a shot is one way of saying that. And the other thing is, I'm grateful to have had experiences with other people and other relationships in the past that helped me really know what I want. And I think giving myself the time in my life to actually explore and try different relationships was super important for me to know when this came around, that this was like what I was really looking for having tried some different things. So I think that was an important part of it as well. But yeah, it was really trusting the feeling, then trusting that like, whether it led to a lifelong relationship or was like a powerful season of love with this one person, you know, that it was worth it to make that to take that chance. Yeah, I would say for me, I mean, just to take a slightly, there's so much I agree with and to take a slightly different lens, like just for those that are really practical, for me, it was some things that helped make it an easy decision where we have very similar values. Pretty much all of our values are the same. We might live them slightly differently, but we have really similar values. We had and have very similar missions in life. And like the way that, again, the way that looks and how that manifests like might look different. Obviously, we have a business together, but we also have things that we do independently. So now, but it was just clear that like in terms of why we felt like we're here having this human experience, there was a lot of alignment in that. I also have had relationships where I got to learn a lot about what were the mistakes that I made? What were the yellow or red flags that I ignored because I, at the time, I didn't know any better or because I didn't know that something else was possible. And I was able to carry those learning. I mean, the reason that it took me two years before I started dating again was because I didn't want to make the same mistakes that I've made in the past. I still care a lot about the people that I've been with in past relationships. And that said, like some of them were really toxic relationships and we got to learn and grow a lot together, but they ultimately weren't my people. And those experiences helped me really clarify for myself. There's a book called If the Buddha Dated, and it has this exercise that was actually really impactful for me when I was younger and just reflecting. If the Buddha Dated? Yeah, If the Buddha Dated. And it has this practice where it had me make a list of green, yellow, and red flags in terms of what the other person would do that might indicate that it was either green, yellow, or red and the green yellow flags for myself that indicated that I was losing myself or giving myself up for the sake of the relationship. And that was really impactful for me. So as I got to know those things more and more over the course of my growth, it became much easier to tell 
like where it was that happening. And I didn't feel any, like to me, it was just like all green flags with Michael. In addition to the, there was clearly a tremendous amount of lust. And there was also like a deep, profound sense of intimacy and connection and union that we had fostered. I mean, when I look at so many people that I know a year into their relationship, we had already gotten there at like month one. And so There was just so much transparency and trust and vulnerability that I felt like I knew exactly what I was signing myself up for. And it didn't mean that everything was going to be like easy and seamless along the way because it certainly wasn't. But I felt so clear that both of us were committed to each other's freedom and each other's growth as much as we were to our own and that we were also willing to sit in the fire together when things got challenging and also willing to be like fierce allies in one another's healing and expansion and potential. And that continues to be true. So quickly, the green, yellow, red flags, I think that's a really great thing for people to add to their toolkit and the differentiation. It's not just for in the other person, what they're doing, but within you, what you're doing and how you're feeling really important. I love the part where you add that doesn't mean it was easy because that makes me love it even more. So, so many things I want to dive into, but one of them I want to rewind really quickly to, you use the term crossing a boundary, Michael, for when that instance happened with the three of you all. But to take that term more broadly, in a relationship, when somebody does something or says something that crosses a boundary, what are the things that the two of you recommend and perhaps the two of you lean on the tools, the techniques or practices to navigate a situation where somebody most of the time unintentionally, right? Even if it's like they intentionally say something, it's perhaps in the moment that they didn't mean or whatever, intentionally or unintentionally cross a boundary. I think there's a difference sometimes between like patterns or like ways that this happens lots like consist happens over time versus one time things, not necessarily different tools, but just to name that. But I think a lot of it, first of all, comes down to regulating ourselves. Often when a boundary gets crossed, it leads to strong emotions, which an anger is like an emotion that is often suppressed, but is really meant to basically let us know when boundaries are being crossed that we need to stand up for. And however, it also can, if both sides get angry, it's really not the time at all to have that conversation. So I think the first thing is just like emotional awareness and emotional regulation of what state are each of us in this moment. If we have one of those situations, like it can be really hard to not like just immediately want to address it. A lot of times we can, but when we realize that we're both coming from this place of anger, which for us often shows up as trying to be right or like defensiveness and all these things, it's okay, let's take a little time to go out our separate ways, breathe, and then do whatever we need to do. And then usually whoever is the one who crossed the boundary, I think it's really helpful for that person to take the onus of apologizing and opening up a space to make amends and not just sweeping it under the rug. Those are some things that come to me, but what comes to mind for you? So what's most present for me right now is a practice that I've just started working with in the last couple of months. There's actually a lot of intentionality and energy that needs to go into this to do it well, to create, and when I say well, to create, to actually create a shift 
that is not just momentary, but sustaining. When my boundaries have been crossed, some of like four kind of common energies that show up in my life are anger, resentment, distrust, and judgment. So I'll say that once more, like anger, resentment, distrust, and judgment. And I think all of those can be protective mechanisms, ways to ensure that boundaries don't get crossed again. So the practice that I had been exploring was like to really deeply look at what's the old way, the habitual way of relating when boundaries are crossed, like get mad, become guarded, become distant, become judgmental, distance myself. Sometimes in the past, I've become condescending, like all these like unskillful things. So really like deeply, not just cognitively understand the old way, but feel the old way in my body in an embodied way. And then connect to the new way. Like, how do I want to be when my boundaries are crossed? And really identify the qualities that I want to show up with. How would it feel in my body? So that's step one and two, looking at the old way, looking at the new way of being. And then the practice that I've been working on is actually like put myself back in a scenario where my boundaries been crossed and see it. Like as I close my eyes, see it as if it's happening And actually what was recommended to me was to create like a pathway. Like I'm literally walking in a particular direction. And over here, there's some sort of representation of the old habitual way. And over here is the representation of the new way of being. And so as I'm walking, I'm envisioning myself back in a situation where my boundary was crossed. And I see, I feel it. I allow myself to be impacted, like to be touched by it. And then in that moment, it's like I pause. There's the moment of choice. And rather than going into the old habitual way of being, I'm choosing the new way of being. And so when I'm seeing myself in that past situation, I'm inviting in, I'm like, oh, everything, I'm noticing that everything in me wants to guard off, or I'm noticing I want to point the finger, but I'm not going to choose that. I'm actually going to choose this new way of being. And it's really about actually feeling it deeply in the body because it's like rewiring the neural patterns in our brain so that we're reconditioning ourselves, we're reparenting ourselves in a lot of ways to say like, no, I'm going to align with who I want to become. And this is very much in process for me. I have not mastered this by any means, but it really has been a game changer for me because I have a lot of self-awareness. I have so much insight into like where my patterns came from and what, how I want to be. But this somatic embodiment practice of shifting how I relate to the boundary being crossed is a game changer for me. There's a couple other things that are super tangible. I think to follow this thread of working with these things in the body and not always with words, I think that what happens when a boundary is crossed is there's all these emotions and often on both sides, because usually, again, whoever crossed the boundary, at least in my experience, didn't mean to cross the boundary and now may feel like their intention wasn't isn't being understood. If I make a mistake and or do something without being as thoughtful as I could, that crosses a boundary of Adriana's. I obviously feel bad about that already. I don't want her to have that experience. And also, I may have just been doing my best to be authentic me and or there's something I haven't healed within myself that is the reason that happened. And then if I feel judged, or if she's pulling away, I'm like, well, I didn't mean to do that. I had that impact, but that wasn't my intention. And so holding both impact and intention are really important. But anyway, where I'm going with this is I think that I've also needed to like, not to 
blame or shame or judge myself if I cross someone else's boundary either. You know, to take the lesson and to change, but not to make it like mean that I'm a bad person. I think oftentimes in a relationship, if some person has hurt the other person through some behavior, and obviously there's different degrees of this, right? Some behaviors may just cross the boundary to the point where you're like, okay, this isn't going to work. But if we're working within the realm where the relationship is still intact, like it doesn't really help to make that person wrong. If I feel judged and made wrong, I'm just going to guard myself too, because I don't want to get hurt. So I think it's really important not to turn it into a blame game, but instead to say like, how do we keep ourselves in a healthy relationship here, given the situation? So that was one thing. And then the second thing I want to say is this has just kind of emerged over time. And this is part of our like, when we are connected too, but also when we're in conflict, to use animal noises to express what we're feeling in ways that often are so much more direct and effective than words. And Adriana in particular, like we've gotten to the point where a lot of times if it's not like a big boundary crossing moment, she'll literally just release it through a hiss. Like she'll just straight up turn to me and like hiss at me if you want. <laughs> like I might just be doing a thing. That's a soft one. Sometimes it's more like. <laughs> <laughs> like I might just have done a thing and I feel her. I see her go stiff and I know her body language. So I know she's upset. But usually this is what happens is when we break out in laughter afterwards because it's hilarious yeah. that she's hissing at me. Right. But it's like this. <laughs> it's like this release of the ten, the deeper the tension on a somatic level that can take 10 seconds instead of arguing about it for 10 hours that just can get it worse. So I think remembering to go to that. Words are, of course, also really important, but sometimes letting go of the charge in whatever way, whether it's through animal sounds, whether it's through taking space and doing deep breathing, whether it's through whatever other things that you might practice that someone might use that way are so important. And then once that has been released, if there's communication that needs to happen around how to not have it happen again, Words are awesome for not having something happen again, but they're less powerful for helping with the emotion, with the emotional experience sometimes. And just to speak to the science of that for a second, right? So Peter Levine is a lead researcher, amazing books on trauma. And he's not the only one who's looked into this, but like one of the things that he's found through his research is if you look to the animal kingdom, if you look to wildlife, a lot of times when animals, when they are under attack or they're potentially about to be the prey they go into many animals will go either they fight or they flee they run away or those that actually don't have the capacity to do either of those and win they go into an immobilized state where they actually disassociate from their body some of the animals even emit off a smell that makes it smell like they're dead which actually increases their chance of survival because most animals don't want to eat a dead animal out of fear of being infected. And so what do they do? Like once the animal actually fights and wins or they flee and they've survived and they're no longer at threat or their predator thought they were dead and they left them alone, the first thing that animals do is they shake. So animals literally shake it. They shake their whole body uncontrollably for 90 seconds. And what it does is it allows their nervous systems to not have trauma imprinted in their system. And unlike animals, most of us as humans have learned to swallow it. We don't speak up when a boundary has been crossed or maybe we speak up, but we're like, in such a state of reaction that the imprint isn't able to leave our system. And so When Michael is giving this example of using sound, it's one of many ways we use our physiology a lot in our relationship. And the whole idea here is that we are trying to 
release whatever like micro or minor or like significant trauma has been experienced by the nervous system so that instead of it becoming an imprint that we carry and that eventually might become a pattern through which we show up in our relationships with ourselves and one another, we're just letting it go. And when we're doing it skillfully, it's not about pointing at someone to make them wrong, but it's a release. And so certainly, as I shared, we are learning and we don't always do this perfectly either, but that's really the intention behind it. And it's really powerful. And it brings a lot of humor in play. Another example that we started doing is we found out that Adriana really softens if she's getting nuzzled. So I'll literally (laughs) go up to her and nuzzle her with my nose and her face or just like putting a hand on her heart or vice versa, right? Or just like holding each other. Like sometimes like the animal stuff is fun and different and it's really effective. And if that's not something that like a listener is comfortable with, like finding a way just to show physical affection, even saying, Hey, I know we need to talk about this. Clearly there's something here that's not working. Can we just sit and hold one another for five minutes? Or just, can I just put my hand on your heart and we can breathe together or just whatever is works for the couple? Because physical touch is such a safety enhancing thing. This connection on that physical level, talking about intimacy, like is so calm, can be so calming and resetting and can really help make space for the more intellectual side as well. So going back to the animal sounds, I love it. And sometimes we don't even have the words. And then when we do use words, it just opens up so easily to like misconstrue them and words mean different things to different people. And we focus on what we're going to say back. And it just really boils down the communication to the most simple, global, universal version of it is the emotion expressed in its most authentic form. And so I would invite anybody listening to to give it a try. And when you try it, I think it helps you be bought in or listening to be bought into the idea. But then when you say it prevents that imprint, whether it's a small or a big trauma imprint, studies have shown that more than the trauma we're exposed to, it's the way that we react to it. And that actually small micro traumas over time can be just as detrimental to our health as really big, obvious things. And so a lot of us don't even think that we have any trauma, but there are all these micro traumas that were processed that were imprinted and that actually builds up and can be just as detrimental. And it sounds like overall, when a boundary is crossed or when there's a conflict of any sort is at this inflection point, right, where it might escalate, a really important thing being, okay, how do we downregulate our emotions, like lower the stakes and or perhaps take space if that isn't something that people have the tools for, like pressing pause and taking time and space before things can escalate, where oftentimes the more complex and like irreversible or harder to reverse damage is done. One thing to name too is that we've talked a lot about transparency and truth telling in our relationship. But so like we just talked about downregulating, that's really important. And it's also super important to to name and voice the things that happen, right? Not to let them just build up over mm-hmm. time, but to make sure that if a boundary was crossed, it does get named, it does get voiced so that it doesn't get held as resentment. What I see kind of all these processes 
being. And so you guys have talked already a lot about rupture and repair. And so rupture and repair, it's very common in parenting styles, but in like any relationship, we will have ruptures, we will have conflicts, things will get broken or upended. And it's more about the repair and how we repair is what's important. And actually, if we repair in the right way, or if we resolve a conflict in the right way, we can become something more beautiful, and in this case, stronger. And what came to mind is a lot of the reasons why it's happening is because there are these neurological or emotional shortcuts, right, to these old patterns, and we're being triggered. And so there are these shortcuts. So how can we replace those shortcuts with healthy shortcuts, where instead of in the beginning, maybe we need to talk for an hour or two or three of that whole night on night three of your guys's relationship. How can we create new shortcuts where it's just a, right? And then it's, okay, we acknowledged it. It's dissolved. I always feel like it's, how can we dissolve it, right? Not like brush it aside, sweep it under the rug, but acknowledge it and kind of like dissolves through that process. And so how can we create shortcuts that take us to resolution or repair faster, not just like you said, not skipping it, but replace those old maladaptive shortcuts with these new healthy ones that can acknowledge and dissolve so we can move through. I love that. And I think it can feel daunting if in a relationship there has been a lot of conflict that hasn't been resolved fully or repaired, dissolved or repaired. And I know in in relationships I've had, whether it's with partners or other like family or other people in my life, it can feel frustrating sometimes if it's like, it seems like there's so much conflict that's hard to even handle and repair. And it seems like it's going to take a lifetime to clear it out. And I think that it's really valuable to remember that each time can get a little easier if we do it really effectively. Once we repair one thing, the next thing becomes a little bit easier and the next thing becomes a little easier. And at that point, that's where we're like, shortening it into these shortcuts because we've already worked through things. So just to say to anyone out there, if you're in a relationship of any kind where it feels like if you wanted to do this type of work to repair, it could literally take you a lifetime, like just to encourage to that it's worth it. If the relationship is someone that really has deep meaning to you and that you feel like is the right thing to have in your life, if you do this and you make it a practice, it gets easier over time. It doesn't have to take up your whole life to like just, you know, repair conflict. It sounds like learning a language where after two, the third one is easier than the second one was, than the fourth. And the people who are polyglots, I'm thinking that word in Spanish. I don't even, I'm like, don't know if I'm confusing the word. People who speak many languages, by the time they get to five or six or seven, it's easier and easier because you can leverage all the same tools. You know, the way the verbs are conjugated, all of these things and the same tools apply, whether it's across relationships or within the same relationship. One thing that I wanted to just share in relation to the boundary conversation, in addition to what's been shared, is I think there is a mindset shift, at least for myself, that has needed to happen. And that I, based on like my life experiences and conditioning, I kind of learned somewhere along the line that to hold a boundary, like I needed to kind of remove or withdraw love, a state of love in order for the boundary to be taken seriously, or people wouldn't actually understand the boundary. I would just be setting myself up for it to happen again. And so in my case, like, I think there's been an interesting learning around like not seeing love and boundaries as these polarized ways of being that can't coexist together 
but really learning to walk the paradox of being loving and boundaried and having the way that I express my boundaries be an embodiment of both of those things. And I imagine that I'm not alone in that. Like I know that that's been really true for me. I've seen that with other people. And so I think it's really helpful to understand or to begin to explore what are the ways of being that we believe can't coexist with honoring, with speaking to boundaries or being boundaried? And how do we actually explore and begin to play in the realm of actually embodying both of those simultaneously? Because for me, at least, it's very much a journey because the imprint is so deep and so strong. But I think that it's a requirement in order to actually live my values when it comes to honoring my boundaries and speaking to them in a way that helps me stay in relationship with the person rather than pulling up the drawbridge. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's a really important point. I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to on both levels. The first one of feeling the need to withdraw love in order for that boundary to be taken seriously. And the second part about what states can coexist that we currently believe we have to be in one or the other. And I probably mentioned this before on the podcast in general, dialectics being when two seemingly opposing truths can coexist. And in this case, what like two realities can coexist and inviting them both in to kind of sit there and talk and be together rather than having to switch back and forth or protect or understand. I think that's really powerful, really great point. So as we get ready to wrap up, although we have so many more topics, I have sort of two. And the first question is two part more questions that I want to ask, Michael, you mentioned that sometimes it can feel like a daunting task with how much healing we have left to do. And it feels like we just have too much shit. It can't ever be dealt with. We don't have the tools. How can we get through this? Whether it's a romantic relationship, partnership, family, everybody can probably relate to this. Some of one of those examples, a question that I often get asked is, is there any relationship where it's actually just easy? And I think oftentimes people look to social media and they say, well, it just looks so easy and happy. So that's what I'm aiming for. And so this question is twofold. One, is that a realistic expectation that people should have? You know, that at some point relationships become easy whether it's after going through struggle or that they somehow miraculously never have been through any obstacles in the first place. And the second question for after is, how do you know when it's something that perhaps can become more powerful, more potent and deeper through going through the work or something it's best to kind of bow out and acknowledge it's not going to work and you need to protect yourself and it can become something toxic or too difficult to make that investment. When I think about the relationships I've been in, in at least, like I find that they're chapters and there are some chapters that can and have been incredibly easeful and smooth and just easy. 
And there are other chapters where, in my belief, in terms of like how I think about relationship is really that when we've established a sense of safety and commitment and relationship, that things will emerge in the partnership that are wanting to be healed, that actually help, whether it's an individual in the partnership, heal and claim more of their own wholeness, or whether it's like the partnership is healing something that's deep. And I think that it can be a really interesting place where in a confusing place to see like, is this in service? Is this showing up because it's like something that we're supposed to be really moving through together? Or is this like a yellow flag? Or is this a red flag? And to me, like the exploration, at least in my life very much has been like, are we growing? Are we expanding together as we move through this? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it feels sticky, like what's available on the other side of this? And oftentimes it's been the case that it's been something that needed to be addressed and then we moved through it and it's clear. And that said, there have been a couple of instances in our relationship and quite frankly, like we're actually encountering one of those things right now and we're not ready to talk about it publicly, but there's something right now that's emerged in the relationship where it's, okay, like we've been in this thing, we've been trying to figure out how to navigate it We've tried to leverage different tools that we have, and yet it feels like we've been on the hamster wheel, but as it relates to moving through and addressing this. And so this is a situation in our case, we've actually just recently decided we want to get a therapist to help us move through this specific issue because 95% of our relationship is easeful and it's clear and it's bright. And then there's this area where it's like, oh, this is really challenging. We really don't understand one another here. This is really painful. We could look at that and say, oh, this means we're not supposed to be together. This means we should call off our wedding. And like the way that we're choosing to relate to it is to say, no, we believe that this is deeply in service of our healing as individuals and as a partnership. And there are definitely, there have definitely been moments for me, (laughs) I think for you too, where we've been like, oh my God, is it worth going into this? Because it seems it's so big and it's so deep and it's so nuanced and it brings up so many layers that feel like in some ways it would just be easier to be like, nah, let's just not look at that at all. Let's keep that in the box and just keep going. But the freedom and the possibility that I know lives on the other side of going into that feels deeply worthwhile. And like, certainly there are moments when I really have to remind myself of that. But I think to me, just to come back to the essence of it, it's, is there growth in this for me? Is this challenging me to level myself up? Even if it's uncomfortable and even if part of me wants to dig my heels and be like, I don't want to grow in that way. And is it really ultimately actually in support of me, the other, and the relationship? I want to talk about the idea of ease and easefulness too. But the question of whether it's right to stay in versus not, I, to me, boils down to, am I becoming more of who I deeply want to be through this relationship? And, or if I'm not right now, can I become more of who I deeply want to be through this relationship, through this challenge, through whatever it is? If the thing that my partner is deeply needing, especially after we explore it, is actually like, feels like it's limiting, like actually in the way of me being who I want to be, then that's to me a sign that it might not be the right fit. And I think it's worth exploring that from different angles, because sometimes we don't always see it. But if that's really what, after exploring it deeply, if that's really what comes forward, then maybe it's not right. But like with Adriana and me, let's just say like, 
whenever I deeply go into it and ask myself the question, I can always find some way in which I'm just being called to be a better human being, period. And it doesn't always feel easy, but um, it's always, ah, dang it. This is my work. This is like work that I might want to avoid because it's easier to avoid. But actually, when I reconnect with what I believe is the reason I'm even here to like realize my potential, become as much of myself as I can be. Whenever I come from that angle, it reminds me that this is just that I'm choosing to approach relationship as a ground for that exploration and a ground for that growth. And so that's what's being asked. And I think that really holds me in that in that state. I think it takes a lot of humility too, because I mean, this happens for both of us all the time. Like there are times when of tensions emerge and Michael is like shining light on something. And I'm like, he's shining light on my shadows, like on my unintegrated, unskillful ways of being. And that there's like the younger parts of me that are maybe like stuck in those ways of being that are like, I'm not changing. This is who I am. Like you need to accept it or leave it, but I ain't changing. (laughs) And then like simultaneously in parallel to that is the like witness in me. That's like the adult in me, the evolved version of me that can look at myself and be like, wow, that's actually deeply out of alignment. That way of being that younger version, that like great intentions, and no longer aligned with my values and who I'm committed to being as a human. And so it takes, I think, a lot of the space to slow down and become aware, like really reflect on ourselves and put aside the desire to be right or the desire to protect and prioritize the truth. And in connecting to the truth, it takes the courage to say, okay, like I'm willing to do my work, like even if the other person isn't. Because depending on where we are in our journeys in relation to whatever is coming up, like some of us aren't ready or willing to go there yet. Are we still willing even when the other person isn't for the sake of our own growth? And rather than I know for myself, sometimes like a really righteous part wants to come out and it's like, well, if you're not going to change, I'm not going to change. Well, that's not getting me any closer to what I want because the reality is when I show up differently or when Michael shows up differently, that dynamic changes inevitably. Because it's no longer the same energies that are at play. And so, yeah, I think that's a really important point that you made in terms of how that's like a great compass for understanding, like, is this in service? I love all of those answers and have so many follow-up questions, but we will have to leave them for another time since we are out of time. But the couple of things as we wrap up that I wanted to touch on there are Going back to that question, you know, when somebody says, is there some relationship that's perfect or without effort and people admire relationships maybe as they appear on social media, this invitation that maybe rather than admiring any perceived lack of conflict, we should really admire ourselves and other couples and other people for how they react to obstacles or conflict, how they approach them. Are they ready to roll up their sleeves and dig in and put down the armor? Are they ready to show up and be allies for each other in healing? What can I learn? Am I becoming a better, more authentic version of myself through this process? And that's really mm-hmm. when you know and it's worth continuing to show up time and time again as issues continue to come up and hopefully creating 
those shortcuts and learning more languages more quickly over time and building something that is deeply beautiful and even stronger together as a result of all that work. So thank you so much to the both of you. And I'm, of course, really excited to continue the conversation. Such a pleasure. Yeah, Yeah, thank thank you, you, Sasha. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in to listen to our show. If you like what you learned and you know someone who might also like listening, please do share this podcast. You can also feel free to reach out to us anytime. If you'd like to submit questions, requests for experts to have on the show, or if you'd like to share your positive feedback or constructive criticism, we'd love to hear what you think. It's the only way we can learn and grow along with you. Be sure to check out our website, follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world, and subscribe to the Book Club newsletter, where we send out even more resources to help you dive even deeper to the topics that we bring to you on the show. Once again, we encourage you to take what we discuss on this show and apply it in your everyday life. Because remember, better relationships equals better life.